0: Listening to Omnis Protocol. I am Charles, also known as Omnus, and I'm here with the greatest of all time tournament organizer, Tyson. What's going on, man?
1: Oh, nothing too much. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction.
0: (laughs) It's been it's been going around. People say that about
1: you. (laughs) I've been seeing the goat. Uh, maybe it's showing my age when I first saw that. I'm like, what 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 is that? I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, goat. (laughs) Greatest of all time. Exactly. It took me a second. You know, I'm one of those old Fody Daddies.
0: Okay, so listeners, if you were not aware, um, we recently got back from LVO. Uh, Tyson is the event organizer that covers the War Machine, Monpoc, Warcaster, and then MCP is under the the Tyson umbrella, which we are very, very thankful for because he runs a great show. And then I kind of handled the running side of it for yep. LVO. Um, and so with our powers combined, and James backed us up so well james brandon was a huge help in making um making lvo a success but uh yeah we're going to talk about uh talk about our afterthoughts for the las vegas open
1: yes yeah and things that improve and um questions that people had and kind of give a you know here's why we did things the way we did them exactly
0: so first off obviously um Huge uh, shout out to uh, actually Bell helped a lot too. Can't forget about Bell. Yes. Oh, yeah. She she says hi. Also, Charles. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Um, James, huge help. Um, And then shout out to Nate for getting third, Fletcher for getting second, and Mike DeLuca for taking overall in MTC.
1: And and his $500 travel grand prize too to come back next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Ari Painter donated some stuff um, that ended up going to Fletcher. Um, so huge, huge shout out to Army Panther as well.
1: Yes, yeah, they had some. They had a it's like a full paint kit or a full starter kit and a wet palette, and we figured we would give it to the guy that had no painted miniatures. Yeah,
0: <laughs> got all the way, got all the way to the finals. Was the <laughs> only like non non painted. I mean, I think maybe there was one other non painted in the top yeah. sixteen, but um, so it was really they, good. I was very, yeah, I was really well.
1: impressed by most people had um, a whole bunch of painted stuff, uh, which was really nice to see. And they got raffle tickets. Well, no, did they? Yeah, hopefully they did. But I had war machine stuff to give out, so they might have not cared. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were we a little cool. low on the Monst- on the MCP prize support this year, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I think AMG is still getting their head around how they're going to handle all of this stuff. I was thinking about some of yeah. the stuff afterwards because we had asked for like some OP kits to run some of the OP kits for people who weren't able to do the stuff in their yeah. local stores because of COVID. But then I oh, realized and, and terrain
1: like... and other stuff. Uh, but yeah. yeah.
0: But then I was like, well, what – how do they do it if they give us that stuff, which the intention is it's for everyone who's involved. But if they give us a bunch of kits and then we we run, you know, one Dread Dormammu thing and we give out those but we have these extra kits, are there going to be some sort of contractual obligation of what we can do with the other oh. remaining stuff? Because their, their uh, intention of those a... is it goes to everyone involved, right? I think yeah. it gets or, a little or, complicated. Or we use it.
1: Yeah. Or we use it at our event. I mean, typically anything that I've left over, it goes in the box for next year, you know, so it doesn't just like disappear into someone's pockets. So, you know, it always gets used.
0: Yeah. And so I think they just have some little things to like work out with, like, how is this going to work with event organizers and what are the obligations for how they hand out that stuff and what they do with the extra stuff and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, They're probably working out those details, but... What we're going to do is we're going to go through, we're going to answer like all the key questions and stuff that have been popping up on podcasts and on discord and on Facebook and on YouTube. And we're going to talk about the future plans as well. So one of the questions that started popping up on uh, YouTube, actually quite a bit, is people were asking about the table sizes and why were the tables small? And I was wondering how much of this was coming from people who've never been to a convention, but Tyson, I figured I'll throw this one over to you. Yes, you well, kind of so, so, handle the organizing and arranging the rooms, and
1: yes. So, so we had a layout. Um, the problem with LVO is we use so many tables that no casino and or third party event has enough tables to cover it. So we clean out all of uh, most of Caesar properties. <laughs> so, and then they had to rent a whole grip load of extra tables. So what ends up happening is it's a scramble to find tables to fill the whole event of, you know, because we need four, th- actually the tables are usually like 24 or 16 inches deep by six or eight feet wide. And so you need two, one, basically one for each person. And if there's like four four to 5,000 people at the con, like we need four to 5,000 tables, like it's crazy. So yeah. uh, anyways, uh, so they had some three foot tables. And they thought, oh, you know, MCP fits on three foot tables so we can do a three footers because um, we're having table issues and we're having to rent and buy tables uh, for these events. So that's why we ended up on three foot tables. And uh, it was more about a space issue is really what and what I walked into the room. And guess what? Here's your tables. Okay, (laughs) like, I guess that'll work. So that was it wasn't it was uh, less than optimum. Uh, I would have hoped for, you know, basically allowing ideally. I have four by four feet uh, for every table for MCP. So we have a little bit of sideboard and you have some operating area that isn't just the mat. Uh, so some- we're actually
0: foot and a half. There was actually two tables together. So it was three feet total, but the each table was a foot and a half wide. Yep. And so if they were to expand it, they would have had to give us another foot and a half, which is actually kind of a bit
1: big and... Well, well, they do have 24 inch wide tables. So we have over on in the War Machine area, we had yeah. four feet wide that so were two tables. So they have different arrangements of tables that are optional, you know, that are available. So no one yeah, else, yeah. you know, we play in one of the smaller. So there's most games playing like four feet wide or a little over 36 inches. So they got all of the slightly wider tables and we got stuck with the ones that just perfectly fit for our game.
0: For sure. And I think in the end, giving people extra room around each other actually ended up working out considering COVID and such. Like, it, you know, if we expanded the size of those tables, the room does not get bigger. So it means no. that there's less room to navigate between people. It's actually pretty easy as a judge to get to the tables that I needed to get to, which was mm-hmm. nice. And I've definitely been at conventions where there was not enough room between the tables. And I'm like, I don't want to bump someone while they're trying to get ready to move a model or something.
1: Yeah, well, fortunately with Vegas and fire marshal codes, there uh, our table alleys are always quite generous. So sure. you know you can have two big dudes and their chairs like pushed all the way out as you're standing, and you can still walk through typically. Uh, so that's and ideally next year because we're going to be expanding the tickets that we have for warmish uh, for MCP as I make more terrain. Uh, is MCP takes like that whole room? Yes. and then war machine and my other events moved to the adjacent room that was cut up into like the different hobby lounges and stuff so we'll take so basically we'll take over those two full rooms so we'd have you know enough room for 250 mcp players or so in that hall with you know the typical oh like four foot so standard excited. i know <laughs> um
0: Okay, well, let's, let's go Anyways. ahead and move on to the next question. Um, another thing that was coming up a lot was people were seeing in the videos and such of the different ways that people were tracking damage. And, like, mm-hmm. one that came up was I believe Nate was using these kind of, like, little resin dice holders, and then he had 10-sided dice that would slot into them. I and mean, know people were like, oh, you know, using dice, that's crazy. But honestly, I would say that his particular method was probably the safest for not getting knocked over.
1: Um, Specifically because he had holders for the dice.
0: He had these specific resin holders that were designed specifically to hold 10-sided dice. I actually liked it a lot. But even he ran into a situation where he was playing against someone who was colorblind, and then the red and the green was hard to tell apart. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, it was not colorblind. I loved that the red and green made it very easy to tell which number was power and which number was damage. Mm -hmm. Because that kind of connects to the original tokens. Um, And we did have situations where there was a slightly clumsier person and they knocked a card on the table that had a lot of power and stuff where they're trying to like switch it to injured. And we had to like figure out well, what, what power, you know, figure, did we yeah. find all of the tokens? Were any of these tokens already on the floor?
1: Um, yeah. So, which, well, I mean, that happens every so often, uh, but you know, at least in that instance where they're using quote unquote, the official tokens. Correct. Yeah. Oh. Um,
0: So this is something that now that we've gotten this event to happen, Tyson and I are going to look at all of the different ways that we saw people using um, to to manage this and track power and damage. And I think a lot of it was just intended to try to keep the board state from getting clunky or too overly cluttered. but we're going to look at what's best suited for competitive play and what, you know, because we don't want opponents to be constantly having to ask what power and what damage is on a character. They should be able to reasonably see it. And so we're going to kind of look at all of those and figure out which ways are best suited for competitive play and then update the document.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because there were definitely some instances of some devices where if I'm on the other side of the table, you know, like, I can't read what's going on. Like, it's either hidden... Um, by you know the thickness of a counter or something like that so being able to quickly discern about how much power models have without having to ask every time is important time-wise but also you know if i have to keep on asking how much that one model have and that kind of gives away my plan like i'm really focused on that model which you don't want to have to give away that information unless you really need to
0: Or you might remind your opponent of a superpower that that thing has or, you know, something like that. If you're um, if you're asking about it, like you could potentially give away your plans if you have to keep bringing up like, oh, what, you know, how much is on that character? You know, it we don't want that sort of stuff happening that detracts from good, clean, competitive play and people playing at their best. Um, I think it is fair to say that we will be updating things so that dice that are not in those sort of trays will definitely not be allowed. No, you can't yeah. just have random dice sitting on the cards because that stuff just gets knocked over and you can't keep track of it.
1: Exactly, yeah. So yeah, the main premise is um, the ease of, um, what do I say? The ease of precision of, you know, so if this has five power, what's the chance that it's always going to be on five power? You know, so if I bump something, am I going to lose it or is it going to ruin its state or is it going to spin? Or am I half tracking because it doesn't click? You know, so there's a lot of, different things we're going to look at as far as making ease and precision priority um, versus like something just being kind of cool to play with. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay. Well, I think that covers that one for everyone. Another very common question was um, why we're not, why we weren't streaming games.
1: So typically uh, the hotels for a hard landline um, is 500 to a thousand dollars for the weekend which um, for a, a hobby that we run this stuff for free for you guys is a little much. So tip uh, in the past in Bally's, the cell reception was garbo. Uh, but in Rio this year, the cell reception was actually exceptional. So going forward, uh, we may try to um, do some cell, you know, we I have someone for War Machine uh, that's gonna do try to do some live streaming off a cell phone and we may try something like that for MCP too. Uh, but Omnus, you were recording games though too, right? For yes, post-
0: absolutely. Well, I got, had a couple of errors on the first day that I worked through and figured out what was causing it, but ended up with nine overall games and got four games out of the uh, the finals, like the the Sunday event. And mm-hmm. so that was, that was pretty great. Um, I'm happy we have that for everyone and that stuff's up on my YouTube channel, just ominous protocol. If you just want to check it out, a lot of people are already checking them out. I'll probably do some, some further edits on them down the road where I'll like grab maybe the finals game and like go through and clean it up more and then do commentary over it. So you're not getting the, the con background noise. That's pretty of thing. cool. Yeah.
1: There was um, a lot of con background, but that was just the setup we had, you know, so if we moved to, you know, like a lapel mic or something like that, or, you know, something with a little more off-axis noise rejection. There's, so there's lots of stuff we can do, but it's a matter of um also TO bandwidth, you know, so we've got um, our priorities, making sure the event runs smoothly and rounds run smoothly. And so, you know, quickly uh streaming becomes a second priority, unless we have someone that's like, that's their job for the whole weekend is you, you pay attention to that, make sure it runs well.
0: Yeah, for sure. So it's it's something we're going to keep an eye on, and maybe it's something if we price it specifically into the tickets to allow us to have the the landline mm-hmm. if we're planning to stream. Like I but... think
1: we'll have a like I, I think we'll have good enough luck with um, a cell phone, you know. So I'm planning and having, um, you know, even if I use Bell cell phone too, you know, we can park a cell phone by the stream setup and stream it, and you know, because I don't really need my phone all weekend, so. Um, but yeah, we, we have, we have ideas.
0: Yes. Um, so there's definitely things that we're going to do and want to be moving towards, but that that's the primary reason at some of like the smaller hotels and stuff At some, like if you're doing a specific, um, if you're doing something specific, that's just for MCP and doesn't have, you know, 10,000 people in that general area. And, you know, that can be a little bit easier, but it's something we want to do we would like to make the stuff available to people as much as possible.
1: Yeah. And and immediately available because it is really nice to, you know, you did a great job with um, getting the information out there each round and answering people's questions and kind of keeping the people that couldn't attend LVO in the loop, uh, but also having an active stream is kind of the next step of, you know, keeping the hype of the weekend going. Yes.
0: Um, and probably Cause like, so the main thing is, is I could use the same devices that I was already doing to stream directly to YouTube, but Mm -hmm. it's that YouTube has special restrictions on, uh, what you're allowed to stream mobily. Oh. Um, and so the, the sheer fact, if you're doing it from a mobile device, doesn't matter how high definition it is, but if you're doing it from a mobile device, then you're not like, I can't just go live normally um okay. in the same way that if it's something that's uh hard lined um
1: but, yeah and okay. well and that's the thing for miniature like the miniature games unless we're really if we're not streaming in 1080 the um the granularity just really breaks down you know at any distance for the miniatures like you can't even tell what's going on half the yeah. time so you oh, know having...
0: Oh, I was just going to say, if if any of you guys are watching it on the YouTube channel, especially if you're watching it on your phone, I uploaded all of it at 1080p. But if you're watching it on your phone, your phone will almost always have YouTube default to like 480p. And that's (laughs) not high enough definition to see the dice and stuff. So just go Mm -hmm. to the settings and select higher picture quality. And then, boom, it'll switch it to 1080p and you'll get to see all those little details.
1: Okay. Yeah. Which is like, you know, something most people wouldn't think about when you're trying to watch a miniatures game on a table.
0: Yes. Um. Okay. Well, I think that covers that part. Um, We had some confusion from like X magic, the gathering players and X X wing players about our uh, system and like people switching rosters. And what I think Tyson and I come from a war machine background and where a lot of the conventions, it would be like, OK, so there's this Sunday Masters event and there's like four or five different events that qualify you for it. And be like, all right, here's a lower point event. Here's a higher point event. Here's a hardcore event. Here's a team event. Here's a midnight event. All of them are separate events that have potentially totally different lists, but each and of them give you the ability sets. to. Yeah, and potentially different rule sets. So you can't carry any of that stuff over. Um, And then like maybe one totally normal event. And then all of those feed into a Sunday event. And that's kind of our background. We didn't want to do that fully for MCP because there's, we don't know the level of interest of all of the different formats and stuff. And with the building of the, the invitational long-term we thought let's just do events that are the normal format is what the end design was. But it was totally separate. It's a Friday qualifier. We're taking the top seven from that. Then the Saturday is totally different. We're taking the top eight from that. And then there was also someone who qualified from another event because we're obviously we're building towards the invitational. So that was already kind of in the works. Um, And that may seem strange to people who are used to just like, all right, here's three days, one long tournament. Um, but it does tend to keep more people playing, more people invested. It allows for people to play in the Saturday, even if they weren't able to come on Friday.
1: Are... Exactly, I, it solves like you're saying. It solves a lot of the um, timing problems. Where yeah, like if we you know we start Friday morning, and if you can't show up Friday morning, then like whoa, I don't get to play in you know in basically the week long turn the weekend long tournament. So having a bunch of shorter qualifiers lets people uh do other things also at lvo so you can play in a morning qualifier do stuff in the afternoon or if we add a third qualifier to like a saturday um, similar to what we do for war machine where we have a really early saturday morning qualifier and then one that starts a little later later in the afternoon uh, that allows you to sleep in that allows you to do stuff in the afternoon uh, that allows you to scrub out of the morning qualifier and jump into the later qualifier to try to make it uh, so we try to add a lot of flexibility into our weekend, uh, knowing that there's like there's a lot of stuff to do at LVO. Uh, painting classes, you know, hanging out with friends, great food. Uh, so I try not to lock everyone into here's this massive you know three day event that you have to be at every day. And once you basically lose a game, you're out. So why keep playing? Uh, unless you just want games, but uh, giving you more swings at it. Always seems like a, um, a better shot than one long event, uh, which changes, you know, when you have 1,200 players like the 40k finals where, you know, your options are limited when you hit that many people. But we don't have that problem yet, so. Yeah, not yet anyway. Yeah. But.
0: I would say if it's something that you've never been a part of before, it is a lot of fun. And it can be great when you've invested all the money to fly out to a new location and you're at this convention and, oh, if the dice aren't with you day one, or you just get some really bad matchups, or you're off the ball, and go, it's totally fine. I'll just go out for some food and stuff tonight, chill out, and then tomorrow I've got another chance to qualify.
1: Yep, or or you show up and the meta's entirely different than you expected, and things that are a problem, you know, you weren't expecting. You're like, all right, well, you know, if I'm prepared and i brought enough models, like, now I have a chance to tweak my list or, you know, I know what some of the people are playing and I mean, they'll counter against you, but there's this whole second level of adapting uh, your rosters and your play styles at the event, which I think is worth something, too. And you're just not locked in to this static list uh, that you thought was going to be good coming into it.
0: It also encourages people to experiment, like if they want to like, oh, I want to see if I can make X work on Friday. And then if it doesn't, then I'm going to play my more tried and true tested roster on Saturday. Or, oh, I qualified with my tried and true on Friday. Now I'm going to experiment and try convocation, even though I don't have as many games with them or something, and just see how that goes on Saturday, that sort of
1: thing. Exactly. Because you're not locked out. Yeah, if you qualify Friday, you know, you're not locked out of any of the events. We just work our way down the standings until we get people that aren't qualified.
0: Now, with all of that said, it sounds like our plan for next year is that there's going to be one qualifier event at lvo to fill out the rest of the spots for the invitational
1: yes um we'll see how yeah so ideally do we want to talk about lvois or do we want to answer questions and then jump into i think we'll get to the rest
0: of the lvois but i was just like i figured i'd throw that out there while we were talking about it that it's not going to be the exact same system next year because correct it's, it's it's growing considerably
1: Yes. Yeah, we're going to grow a lot. Uh, we're adding feeder events, and uh, but there will still be some qualifiers at LVO, but we won't be taking as many people. But I'd still maybe like to do a few heats. It depends. There's a lot of um, work that's going to have to happen schedule-wise as we get closer to the event, event, um, depending sure. on amount of qualifiers and all that other stuff.
0: And I think a lot of the other like Warfare Weekend and some of these that are going to run MCP events may still run stuff mm-hmm. like the way that we ran it this year with multiple ways to qualify for one sunday event
1: yes yeah which is perfectly fine for events and then their their sunday event would be a qualifier for lvois and that gives you a spot in finals you know mm-hmm. if you finish one of those so there's uh, the convent other conventions themselves can have multiple feeder events so it would be more like the traditional lvo And our structure would change since we would be a yearly finals instead of a um, just a LVO event like we had this year.
0: All right. Well, let's talk. um, One of the other questions was uh, some of the players started wondering after a while why we were asking for two sheets when we were also putting all the information into long shanks. Do you want to tackle this one, Tyson?
1: Sure. Uh, so two sheets is a holdover, at least for me, from War Machine, uh, where typically I need a record of your list to check um, because it's, you know, there's a lot of options in War Machine. And then you have a uh, a record of your list to hand to your opponent and you keep your scores on. And then you come and report to us in a standalone program that we're running locally on a laptop. Uh, this was the first year that we tried long shanks at a live event, and it worked fabulously. Uh, the two-list requirement was a backup, so we knew uh, the players that were playing, what their lists were, and if we had to rebuild an event, uh, we had basically an inventory of the players and what they were playing. Uh, exactly. It basically comes down to
0: we need a backup plan in case all of a sudden we couldn't access Longshanks because the internet got bad or if Longshanks went down or any other number of things that maybe we didn't even foresee, it would just give us an ability to do it by hand on the fly if one of those emergencies came up.
1: Exactly. So it gave us a recovery option uh, versus the whole tournament grinding to a halt for two hours as we try to unscrew everything. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but so going forward, I think the expectation would be uh, there's one paper sheet that you'll have at your table that you give to your opponent when you guys are pick, you know, building rosters. Uh, that's also where you keep score uh, as a hard copy for your game results. And then um, you had people entering all their information. So then we check people into Longshanks. Uh, that's where they get their pairings, which is really awesome. So you get your pairings pushed to your phone, so we don't have to do announcements or printer pages or you know, overhead projectors or any of that stuff. Uh, it also lets you see the tables, uh, what you're, pl- who you're playing against, what their rosters are, uh, before you sit down at the table, if that matters, and also gives the online community a chance, which is I think one of the, almost the best benefit, um, outside of table pairings, um, to your phone, uh, the online community is able to follow along with the tournament and also see the rosters that everyone is playing and we can data mine it.
0: Yep, 100%. So honestly, it worked. ended up working like a dream. And so the backup plan didn't ever end up needing to be necessary, but it was not a ton of work to make sure that we have that just in case.
1: Yes, especially for the first year. Uh, going forward, I think uh, making sure all the – it was and it was easy enough to add people into longshanks that they didn't know about it or they hadn't signed up for it. Uh, it seemed like when you were telling people what it was that you didn't have many problems getting them signed in right
0: right no it was it went very smoothly like probably i don't know maybe a third to a half needed to sign up on the spot but with how good the cell phone reception was um we were able to knock that stuff out and get everything on time so
1: yeah which is i mean you know for us on time is what matters (laughs) exactly (laughs) this lvo runs on time at least our stuff
0: so there's a couple of things that are just going to be up for review in the meantime um something that keeps getting brought up is the third-party measurement sticks. Obviously, I kind of expected that there would be some, and probably like half the people were using them. And there was never any complaints. There was one that was like, hey, we just want to make sure that we're doing things correctly. Um, And I will tell you, when I came over to that table, the difference in size was not small. It was something significant. Now, was Um, it
1: large or short?
0: It was short.
1: Which is okay. So they're just getting... You know. Yeah, they're
0: kind of screwing themselves a little bit. Yeah, but that's something that but still we're going to look at in more detail. Like, I didn't have one of those in hand. I've only used the normal, and I think I also have a Muse set. But I found the Muse set was really close. Mm-hmm. Um, and but some of the other ones I was
1: seeing, the sizes were pretty like if their quality controls kind of bad, then that's. You know, uh, yeah, currently our language is you're allowed to use them, but we're allowed to check them at any point and disqualify them. And I would expect like, you know, if you found a short one, you'd probably say, hey, dude, you're you're, you're you probably want to use the real ones uh, because your things are wrong. And but if they were long, you probably get a game loss like on the spot.
0: Yeah. So, I never never found one where the the non AMG ones were longer than the AMG ones. Okay, um, that that situation never came up.
1: Yeah, um, which is fortunate because <laughs> that would be really sad. Yes, um, um, and that is something for the people to you know check check your third party widgets.
0: Yeah, so we're gonna figure out the long term of like how we're going to handle that. Um, But it was something that, again, needing to see all of these different things that people had purchased from all these different places and going to kind of check with like, okay, how one of the things I'm just going to do is I'm going to check like every AMG one that I have access to, which is more than you would expect. Um, But I'm going to check and see, are they all the same size? How much difference yeah. is one that's, like, heavily primed and heavily sealed? Like, oh. how much additional width does that add? Because I've never played in the game that, before.
1: That wouldn't be a... Like, it'd be a little bit, but not much. Right. Like, you know, primer. I mean, unless you're purposely building up, like, yeah, 10 but coats... but I'm just going to kind of it, see, like, anyways. what
0: happens if I prime it 10 times and seal it 10 times? Like, how mm-hmm. big of a difference is that from one that's just the pure plastic? True. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to look at all of it and see before we make a final decision about next year, just to like tally up all that information. Good plan. Um, so I just, I know it's a question that's come up and I just wanted everyone to know that we're going to look at it and make sure, cause again, we just want smooth, clean, like good competitive play. Yep. Okay. Um, and then obviously a question that started popping up because the finals did have a team that was not painted. So the idea of, is there going to be a painting requirement?
1: Um, Tyson, do you want to tackle that one? Uh, well, we, we will have further discussion on it, but ideally, I like to not require painting for most of our events. Um, our, my passive-aggressive way of inc- encouraging painting is you get raffle tickets and then you get prizes for it. Uh, because some people just can't paint, don't like paint, but they want to play a competitive game. Uh, but as we move into the invitational series where we have a top 32 or a top 64 that are nationally qualified, uh, that um, specific event uh, may have, and probably will have a painting requirement. Uh, paint, you know, doesn't have to be painted well, three colors, paint your base. <laughs> you know, I, I just want, we just want some color on the table. Uh, so, and, you know, looking at most of the tables, there was only a few armies that weren't painted. So, having um, the bar set of basic painting for a national qualifier um, finals is probably what's going to happen. But, you know, all the qualifier events leading up to it, all the casual stuff at LVO, you know, anything else that is outside of Sunday finals, uh, you know, won't have painting required. But, uh, you know, you you only get prizes if you bring painted bottles, though.
0: Yes. And for this one, we were erring on the side of just if someone just started playing four months ago and they're going to show up and do great, which did happen. Yeah. Um, you know, we wanted those people to be able to play. And the first the first goal was to have good competitive play and see what people were doing and like have the opportunity for the community to just like here. This is kind of what competitive play is like and see who's got good ideas and um, the streaming uh, like, or the recording of the games so was just the secondary thing to share. And I'm glad we got to do that. Yeah. Um, but
1: it, And it is a lot easier to tell what models are on the table, you know, if they're just not gray lumps. <laughs> so, you know, that's also part of it. And, um, you know, and really it's, you know, we have 10 models to paint. And yep. maybe 11 with minions. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, okay, so that kind of covers the, the review topics. Um, I want to say there's there's three big...
1: Well, I, actually, did we want to talk about mats and timers?
0: Yes, yeah, so that's the next part.
1: Oh, okay. All right.
0: Yeah, so um, three big lessons that I think Tyson and I learned from this event. And these were all things were kind of on our mind anyway, of like the long term of like how we're going to do this stuff. Um, but three big lessons and this is like if you're listening to this and you're going to run stuff at your store or you're going to run lvo qualifiers or you're going to be part of a convention running stuff this is the big takeaways for me as a person who's running tournaments and here here are the things that really really clicked for me one the importance of the marked maps i thought it was like kind of a cool convenient thing that you could have was my thought going into the event. Um, Tyson, you got at um, frontline gaming to print um, kind of a, um, just like a vertical option of the, the marked spots for the frontline gaming mats. And even though we got some of it wrong,
1: Well, I got some of it wrong, but at least it was easily solvable.
0: (laughs) Yes, but it was like, okay, well, these particular spots, you need a measure range two, and then you'll have the right spot. Um, But even with those that were wrong, it was still so dramatically easier to move forward with the game and keep the game state clean that it really – that mistake actually kind of helped hammer home just how helpful it was going to be. and.
1: Because it probably saved us legitimately five to seven minutes around of setup. And... Well,
0: and it on top of that, it made so many games. Because I started noticing as soon as, so I bought one of iWarGames mats at the convention, which um, are awesome. Yes, and so all of if you guys watch the any of the finals videos, all four of those videos are on iWarGame mats because they're the markings were great. But now that I'm playing on it, and I'm noticing, I I it, it draws so much attention to how often the secures and stuff get bumped and how easy it is on a marked map to just fix it immediately and how quickly it is to set it up. Now it takes like 30 seconds and I don't have to move around any of the terrain. So my opinion is to anyone and like, hopefully FLG will use your new, your new template marking and actually start marking their maps. But I would say literally don't buy a mat unless it's marked.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think That's it is my feelings now. It is really worth it. The um, the LVO maps. Oh, here, hold on, let me mute my phone as it starts beeping in the middle of the podcast. All right, there we go. Um, so yeah, the LVO maps. I just did. I only did a set of objectives uh, secures and extracts vertically, since technically rules wise, you can choose any table edge to deploy on. But in a convention setting, uh, deploying left or right is kind of a problem, especially when you yeah. have rows of like, you know, eight games long. So, uh, the LVO ones are a little simplified. The I gaming ones have um, the secures and extracts for all four directions, which are really cool, and deployment zones and all that stuff. Uh, one thing people should be aware of with um, neoprene mats, the pictures can often be, you know, quarter or three-eighths of an inch shifted. So, you know, it looks like your deployment zone is shorter or longer than it should be, but actually, if you set up with the deployment line that's marked on the map, the interiors of the maps are always correct. Like, they're not stretching them. They just might be shifted some direction. And with MCP, since we don't ambush or have deployments from the sides of the boards currently, uh, the relative positions of the secures and extracts to this absolute side edge of the board don't really matter. So...
0: Yeah, every, every single neoprene mat, any, any you could go check every single one that you have. One side is always an eighth to like a quarter of an inch off.
1: Yeah, like, and that's just a fact of, you know, they're taking yeah. a printed material, they're put in a person, is setting it on the neoprene underlayment, and then they're laminating it together.
0: Yeah, every single one of the AMG ones, every single one of the frontline gaming ones, the only ones that are not like... When I purchase one that's four by four and then cut it down to three by three, I can sometimes get it to be close yeah. to perfect. But well,
1: well, like the, that, the vinyl ones, like the vinyl mats by Mars ones, are probably perfect, um, just because of your printing straight onto a surface that's registered. So you know that's a but that's a different process than the way they make neoprene. Yeah. Bands, so,
0: um, but anyway, the big takeaway is anyone who's starting to prepare to do big conventions, or you're going to have a, you're to have like a big event at your store, or you're starting to gear up to do more stuff at your store. I would tell the s- store staff, or if you are running like, get I mean, gosh, Mark even
1: if you pre laid it out with a Sharpie and you put like a dot where the center of it is and then write a, you know, like that's still better than nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I do you know, think
0: the circle around it actually helps quite a bit. Well, it gives um, you the border? It gives yeah. you like the
1: precise border of like actually this is where the token's supposed to be, and here's the edge of it. Um, yeah,
0: that helps a ton because when you just move the token like you know uh, an eighth of an inch, you can see the outline is shift, so it's easy to shift it back. But if you just have the dot underneath it, you true. won't necessarily notice that you shifted it.
1: Yeah, or um, you could tra- or you know, or you could put a you know a token down and you trace it with like a silver. There's there's ways they could do it. But exactly. Yeah. Um, but I was going the
0: I War Game mats. Uh, now that I've been playing on it more, I as soon as the game has started, I barely notice the other unused markings. I thought they'd be a little distracting, but now that they I'm playing on it, I
1: yeah, there's so much of, else to they, look at. They, they, yeah, well, exactly. Oh, and they kind of fade into the background because you know yeah. I made mine even a little lighter, maybe for the FLG ones, uh, because I think I did like a tw- you know a seventy five percent transparency or twenty five percent opaque. So they really do like you can find them when you look for them. But then they really do kind of just fade into the background, which is nice. Except the big black Sharpie marks that we marked the wrong ones. With, but, you know. <laughs> yes, the ones that were wrong. <laughs> um,
0: okay, well, I think that, that hammers at home. I just, I really can't stress how important this is. I will not purchase another mat that is not marked unless I come up with a great, perfect system. Like if I buy a 4x4 sheet of clear acrylic and then have it laser cut to have all the markings so that I can perfectly like lay it down on top of a mat and then mark, like that would be the only situation now that I ever buy another one that's not
1: marked. <laughs> now, now there is the argument that having, uh, and this is where we'll diverge from rules as specified, that having marked mats is um, technically giving you a measurement device on the table. Uh, but I think for the clarity of gameplay and ease of setup where we're not bleeding like an extra five or seven minutes around which adds up you know so over yeah. five rounds like all of a sudden it's 30 minutes that we've lost out of your day for just setting up uh what we gain out of it i think it's really hard to use weaponized uh geometry uh, to use the locations of those to actually game gain, gain any game state knowledge so uh, I think the trade-off is there for like our competitive events.
0: Yes, and I will say it's man, it removes the worst part of the game, and I love MCP. I love it.
1: Oh, but setting
0: Set up, up oh is my gosh. <laughs> um, I don't like it, and it's just yeah, the mark mats. Um, but I think we've we've hit that topic enough. Yep. Um, I'm going to talk about long shanks for a moment. Um, I cannot praise long shanks enough. As soon as we announced that we were going to use it, um, Sam messaged me, the admin, and was like, here, I'm going to be available for you guys if you need anything over the weekend or if you run into any problems. Gave him feedback. He's already, like, put the stuff up for review to, like, input some of the suggestions and stuff that I had. It worked like a dream the whole time period. I oh, really so, honestly think that Longshanks is...
1: So, for the people that may not know, Longshanks is a internet website uh longshanks uh s h a n k s.org yep. um is where you find it and yeah it's a little um, difficult so to continue. search
0: yeah if you yeah. just search longshanks or something you're going to have a hard time finding it you basically have to type in longshanks.org um but it gave us the ability to put in all the different information for the rounds, gave a lot of, like, access to data. Like, even – it was, like, most of the way through the convention, I realized, oh, man, not only can I look at affiliation win-loss records, but I can look at it by the different
1: leaders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so was... we were so we were recording um, – so for each game played for each player, uh, because you're able to – basically, since it's a website, anyone with a phone with internet access can use it uh, at the – you're able to, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, Charles, uh, at the table, you're able to record your own games. uh, So you don't have to go to a judge table. And especially as events get larger um, for LVO and larger events like that, when you have 100 or 200 players that have to report every round, being able to offload most of that onto the table itself, where people can report their own games. uh, It is beholden to your opponent, you know, hey, make sure you check your score and you know, that it's right because someone's important, you know, or look over each other's shoulder. Uh, But that speeds things up so much. Uh, And then we were also recording what secures and extracts we're playing, what point levels we were playing, what leader you played with. Um, We also had your army list uh, paste. There's like a note section by each player in each tournament itself, um, where you uh, copy paste your roster in. And so that'll be important, you know, as people get used to it. Like, hey, you know, have a, a copy paste note or an export from um, Assemble or something like that, where you can copy paste it in, so you don't have to type it out on your fingers every time. Uh, yeah. And was there anything else that we were recording also for each game?
0: Um, I think that was all. We did record also, like who started with priority.
1: Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. So was... then we knew who, like. Yeah, we had, what was it? It was almost 50-50% for winners with priority versus non-priority. Well, day
0: one, it was 65% were winning without priority. Oh, okay. and then it shifted the next, like both Saturday
1: and Sunday were a lot more like 50-50. Okay. But I mean, you know, but it's awesome by using long shanks and, uh, you know, having your players... Uh, I think it's important to have your players enter this information because it gives us a lot of data. And it gives AMG data, you know, like hard data that they can use to balance this game. Or if a problem starts showing up, like all of a sudden, you know, the cons for six months are showing a 75% win rate for whoever has priority. Like that's probably a problem. Uh, So that will help surface that data much quicker for them. Uh, and it doesn't take a lot of overhead as far as, you know, just a few minutes for players, but it takes TOs enforcing that. Um, to say, hey, guys, you know, this this information's worthwhile. You know, please enter this.
0: Yeah, it was it went so smoothly. I was literally walking around doing judge calls, keeping a track of games. And as I saw that games wrapped up, I would just walk by and like, is this all wrapped up? And they're like, yep. I'm like, OK, pull out my phone just put in the data real quick took maybe 30 seconds to get all the information in and now I never the,
1: had to walk back to the laptop or anything. Nice. Yeah. Which is really nice. Now are the players able to enter it themselves or did the yes, did some you, players okay. did,
0: but sometimes it was people were like already. is if I had time and I saw people wrapping up, I would just go get the information because oh, I which just is, wanted to keep which things is
1: perfect. Yeah. And it's nice for the TOs. Yeah. So you're not tied to a laptop. Um, So you're able to wander around like that's one thing I really liked about uh, Best Coast pairings. For a War Machine is I could wander around with a lap, you know, with a tablet or a phone and do all the recordings, especially for the last games. You know, so you have your last two or three games that are ending, and you want to get the uh, standings in right away so you can do the next round while they're cleaning up and getting themselves organized, and you don't have to wait for them to report. So there's a lot of um, benefit that you get for um, with long shanks and just running, and you don't have to uh, mark. I think for LVO we did mark it, um, so you got. Uh, we didn't make um, it L-O- rated. We did? Okay. Yeah, Yeah. so you got rating out of it, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, as a personal preference, if you don't like rating stuff, that's fine. But just, you know, use long sheets for the data and the pairing. It works wonderfully.
0: I've actually started considering realizing because you can just track all of your games. I think I might start tracking my games in it just so I can go back and see if there's weird trends in, like, am I losing priority as often as I
1: thought I was? Like, Yeah, because, I mean, confirmation bias for humans is a huge thing yeah <laughs> so you're like i rolled like crap well no you just remember the three rolls that you bombed in that one instance and it stuck with you for the next six months but you've been above average everywhere else so, you know there's yeah confirmation bias is a thing
0: yeah my main takeaway there was so many times where i ran local local war machine events by hand because i just i would get sick of software lagging up or if i had to I just, I trusted myself more than I trusted most any software. Um, and I will just say for any event organizer out there, Longshanks worked wonderfully for me. I've never been so happy. I've run tournaments for 10 to 15 different game systems, card games, miniatures games. I've never enjoyed something as much as I enjoyed using Longshanks.
1: Yes. And I think, and he's even working on some extra, um, stuff we requested from him too so it'll get even yeah. better just i've heard
0: people say one of the best features of long shanks is sam <laughs> um, yeah he seems to be truly devoted to making it amazing so that's that's fantastic but not to gush on long for too long um the last thing that i learned um going into this i thought there was some interesting debate as to whether or not chess clocks would be right or whether it would be some sort of like round timer would be better. And I, I, I see the advantages of clocks going into it, but I thought, well, you know, I want to see how it works with this game. Um, I can say definitively coming out of this game, competitive play needs to go to chess clocks. Um, yes. And I will say we had such a perfect example. I think it was on Saturday where there was a game and it was like a mirror match. So it was really hard for me as a judge walking by the table to get any grasp of what was going on because there was so many duplicate characters. I didn't know which characters were whose. And there was no good way to resolve that game because one player was taking like five minutes per activation. And they were on like, we were out like we did like two hours worth of playtime practically. And by the time that was all said and done, they were like on round three. And that's yeah, which just... which doesn't
1: let you get to any kind of definitive game state. Like, you know, it's easily one of the, you know, there's a good chance that one of the players, you know, depending on what their team is shaped up like, you know, that they're going to start snowballing into the later rounds and they didn't score at all in the beginning. You know, so there's a lot of variables that come up with that, that only playing to round three is kind of a problem.
0: Yeah, so... Tyson and I are going to look at how we're going to do things when events are running on round timers instead of chess clocks for when you don't have chess clocks. But if you can do chess clocks, it's, it's going to be the way, like I can say really definitively, like long-term it's got to be chess clocks. There is not like it's yes, it can put a little bit of pressure on things. And I know that it's not the perfect solution for everyone personally, but it solves so many of the other problems that come with slow play and just trying to make sure that both players have a fair amount of time to play their game.
1: Exactly. And, and, you know, typically on Sunday, all the games we saw were ending with what, like 30 minutes combined left. Like there was a, more than
0: that. It was so finals. What we did is we gave 10 minutes of setup and then we had 50 minutes each on the clocks. And then you would pause for calculating um, the score at the end of each round. Yep. And even the games that ran longer had around 40 minutes of total time left. So nobody was even within, like the people that were absolute closest to running out of time still had like 15 minutes when the game ended.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, really the, because, you know, chess clocks and war machine are very tight and you have to play like a really fast game. But in MCP, it seems, you know, if we're running, basically we're shooting for like a two hour round timer. So we don't have to play super aggressive. Uh, It gives us plenty of time, but it also uh, guarantees equitable time use uh, and, and, you know, gratuitous equitable time use uh, in a game where... You Now we don't have to apply as much social pressure. You know, if someone's playing really slow and you go, hey, judge, you know, I don't want to be a dick, but this guy's kind of playing slow. It's a problem. Um, uh, LVO 40K has solved it in such a way that any player at any time can request the game is played on a chess clock at the beginning of the game, and they have to. Uh, I don't know if we want to quite go that direction. Uh, we're trying to remove any of the um, – Kind of the feels bad man, you know, interactions is, far, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to be a dick to my player or seem like that guy that wants to be hard about how we're going to play this game. And oh, and just for the moving, record, the
0: person who was slow playing wasn't trying to be a dick. They were just a little bit on the newer side. And exactly. There was, they, were just, they were just taking a few minutes per activation, and it was just really adding up, and the game wasn't progressing at a reasonable pace. Yeah. And there just isn't really a good way to work around that without like someone sitting there and timing them for every activation and creating some sort of arbitrary restriction. All of a sudden Um, it just, but chess clocks solve that. And I think even if we knocked it down to 45 minutes per person, you would still have 10 to 15 minutes left for every, for a vast majority of people.
1: Exactly. And I think I, you know, ideally for us, um, you know, we don't want aggressive, we don't want to cut the chess clocks down to the minimum amount of time that you have to finish a game. You know, so you got to finish it fast or you'll clock out. But it will stop the games from, um, you know, playing out too slowly, which is what we're thinking. And, you know, and it's a convention. It's a large convention. And the events have to, you know, we need to be done each round after two hours. So how do we end it? Is, um, yeah. you know, basically the solution is this, you know, all the games need to be done at two hours. How do we want to achieve that? And you know, there's always situations that are going to come up, or someone that feels that like, oh, you know, I felt the pressure of the clock, or you know, some other things. But you know, other alternatives, or we would walk by and we tell you your game's done. So, yeah, um, it's it sucks. Yeah,
0: I would say um, 40 minutes would 40 minutes each would probably be about the fastest I would go. I think 45 each is solid Mm -hmm. and then 50 minutes is like nice breathing room um, uh if you've got the time and And then do deployment off the clock and pause for calculations
1: exactly because if we're doing and it it partly it's also dependent on like how many rounds we have to play we're playing four rounds because if you're um qualifying to top seven or eight it's easy to play four rounds and not be um you know and you could be i think up to 80 people and you still get like a top eight? No, is it top five at eighty at four rounds? Anyways, but so you can play I a think few rounds. I
0: sixty-four gives you top eight after. Well,
1: yeah, would give that. you yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, War Machine, we run it. Yeah, we, we split it a little different. Oh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking my I was thinking my War Machine numbers. But anyways, uh but you know, so we want to play with as lenient as time as possible, so while still getting people out of there in a reasonable amount of time. So, you know, if we're playing five rounds then maybe we play like at 45 minutes, but if we're playing four rounds, maybe we play at 50 minutes. So there's, you know, some variability in there where we don't want to be too oppressive. But, you know, we also want these games to end at a certain point and you guys go have fun, you know. So for
0: individual players takeaway, I think it's probably going to evolve to the point where I think most if you, if you have an eye on competitive play, pick up a 20 or 30 dollar chess clock at some point and just have it and start yeah, making I'll... it a part of your practice.
1: Exactly. Like we'll link it. I'll add it in our LVOS doc, you know, like, Hey, here's a cheap chess clock, you know, but uh, DGT uh, makes like a $20 little black and white chess clock that works perfect. Like it has one game mode, which is countdown. And I think you can set it in like in one or five minute increments. Um, So you don't need all the fancy different game modes that chess clocks have. Yeah. Uh, And and it might be something that's worth um, having you know, each person, you know, like we wouldn't require it. But if all of a sudden I, uh, you know, we have 100 or 125 tables of MCP and I got to buy chess clocks at 20 bucks a pop, uh, you know, that quickly adds up. So amortizing that into every player, it's like, hey, bring your own chess clock. You'll know how to use it. Um, You'll guarantee it's to the table. Uh, Does take a lot of load off your TOs. And, you know, for what we pay for this game, you know, each one of our miniatures is $20 or more. So it's like one model yeah. um, that you're adding to your roster effectively. And it, makes, <laughs> and it makes everything run a lot smoother. And, you know, your TO doesn't have to spend two to $3,000, you know, or even $500, you know, on chess clocks that he uses once or twice a year.
0: Yep. All right. So let's talk about the Invitational series. So we're building up to an even larger plan for next year. What do you want to lay out for the listeners?
1: Yes. Um, So we've launched um, LVOIS, the Las Vegas Open Invitational Series, um, .com. So LVOIS.com. I I have three different systems there. Um, Brawl Machine, which is a War Machine sub, um, sub, sub not sub-faction, but sub-format. There we go. Uh, Warcaster, and then, importantly for this uh, podcast, MCP. So what it is, it's a national qualifier system where events can um, basically petition or, you know, you submit your event, say, hey, I'm running at my game store. Uh, we're going to have, we want to do an, uh, an MCP tournament, and we also want it to be a qualifier for Las Vegas Open. And so what that does Is at the end of the year at Las Vegas Open, we have either, and this is a 64 or a 30, or 64 or a 32 man invitational, which is our Sunday uh, invitational series. And throughout the year, uh, we will qualify uh, winners. So if you play at an LVOIS qualifier event and you win it, that qualifies you for Sunday finals. And so you're in Sunday finals. Uh, You also get points. And the people who play in the event also get points towards uh um, tie breaks and also uh if someone can't make it that's qualified you know we start working our way down the points list you know whoever has the most points for the out of the three events up to three events for lvois qualifiers that they played in uh, we total their highest three points together and that ranks them as far as like who we invite next and so ideally
0: uh, if hey we Tyson, miss- one thing, um, hmm? just to jump in there for a second. There is the possibility that the Sunday event starts Saturday night. There, True. There, we might have one round in like the Saturday evening to make sure that there's not too many rounds that we're trying to get done on
1: Sunday. Um, exactly. so it's not, and not just a Sunday event necessarily. True. Yeah. Now yeah, I was yeah I was generalizing what we did yeah. this year. Yeah. So the, the final the quote unquote finals event. Yes. The uh,
0: actual invitational.
1: Yeah. So basically Sunday morning we need to be at six play sixteen players so we can do the four rounds. Yeah. Uh So if we're at thirty two we play one round Saturday afternoon evening. Uh, if we're at sixty four, we uh, play two rounds. Uh, Saturday. So. Uh, but so you can have local events and at LVOIS there's information where you can apply uh there's a google form and uh so you can apply like hey you know i want to run an event on this date at this location and you know hopefully you guys have at least like you know eight or ten players something like that but this first year we're going to kind of fill it out so if someone does an event and i say hey we had four people well if i approved them they still you know that person still qualifies but you might not get a qualifier next year so you know i'm going to be waiting towards events that at least have a decent amount of people and or large con events um well And so, but with 60, I think it's 59 spots because it'll be one spot from last year's LVO. And then I want to pull at least, I think, four players from the last chance qualifier at LVO. So there's still a deep, you know, so there's still some spots we can pull from LVO. And by having up to 64 people, we'll see how many people submit events for this year. Um, We'll help determine, you know, how many spots we have. Uh, You know, so there's not just a one spot last chance qualifier or you know so I kind of still want you to have a reason to come to LVO. We'll still have all uh the casual events and all the sub events and so there's still be a ton of MCP to play at LVO no matter what. Uh, but we're trying to develop a national qualifier five you know world quote unquote world finals uh at LVO each year. Uh and with that on LVOIS we have a player packet that we're developing that kind of uh, establishes a standards of play for what we expect players to play. Um, For people, you know, TOs for other events, they can look at it, use it as a framework and modify it however they want. Uh, For LVOIS qualifier events, uh, we expect them to follow, you know, basically the tenants set out in it, you know, how you um, standards of play, uh, the types of formats, either, you know, chess clock or uh, dice down, and some of the other requirements, that are all pretty minor, but they are what we expect is a tournament standard uh, going forward competitively for clean play and giving TOs a framework to work around. So when they make a decision like this is this is the reason we do this decision. And most, you know, most all decisions in that document have a reason like, you know, where we're talking about uh, third party token sets or, you know, damage trackers. You know, there's a reason we'll talk about those and like all that kind of stuff in there.
0: Yeah, I think pretty much all of Monday after LVO, I was just working on uploading the videos and answering questions and taking feedback from people. Yeah, I think that was my whole Monday after the con.
1: <laughs> Mine was trying downing like six Advil and trying to roll myself out of bed after loading the loading the truck for eight hours.
0: Oh, I was doing it all from bed. Let's be clear. <laughs> okay, even better. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for how it's going to go. Obviously Mike has already qualified. Um, if any of the listeners are like excited about doing LVO next year, even if you can't participate in any qualifiers, you know, there's going to be five spots filled in from that event. Um, and we're going to have other stuff going on too. There's some stuff we're not even going to get into it in this episode, but there's going to be some fun, unique stuff to LVO that's planned for the MCP players, um, so even if you're already qualified and you want to do other stuff, or if you don't care about the qualifier, you just want to come play games, there is going to be some cool stuff for you that will be announced down the road. Yep. So man, I'm, I'm pumped. We already got some people um, like there's going to be one in Houston.
1: Uh, uh, yeah. So on, let's see, let me pop up the, the website really quick. So my current qualifiers, if I go to the schedule on the website, Um, So I've got Battle for the Bayou, um, which I think is a, um, I think that's a Texas event. And they've got a whole um, kind of round robin store series going on. So they had a whole bunch of events in like this month. And oh, and so ideally, so with the qualifiers, I try to make sure um, they're spread out geographically. And they also don't stack on top of each other on the same weekend if they're too close geographically also you know so i want to give people you know like there's one in la and there's one in new york on the same weekend like that's that's fine uh but so i'm trying to spread it out as evenly as possible and so but you know the the battle for the bayou that's one of the three that i think were happening like this next month so i gave them one and then they're going to spread out You know, they might get one or two more because Texas is huge. Uh, It's really big. Yeah, and so you know, throughout the year. uh, So I'm trying to be, um, you know, the balance of you know getting events, the qualifier events, but also spreading them out. And I don't want to. So get your event in. You know, even if it's later in the year, um, plan them now because I definitely want to get as many qualifier events as possible. And at some point, I'm going to start backfilling with people that want to do second events that had successful first events if I don't have as many as I want going forward this first year. Uh, and then we have NASHCON coming up in August. Well, actually, that's a ways away. But the NASHCON and then Nova uh, should be uh, uh, one also currently. Yep.
0: And I'm I'm, I'm working with uh, Mox Bellevue to start doing a uh, kind of a Seattle area one. I'm going to have them get something scheduled. I'm going to encourage yeah, the awesome. Portland community that's also got a good MCP community, try to get something scheduled at some point. Um, I think as this gets rolling, this is, this is just going to be a blast. It's going to give people reasons to be excited about events. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So if you guys know, you know, local people that like running stuff, um you know or someone that's you know run stuff in the past for you guys and you want to bug them about it. it's like hey we should do this you know, we should get part of it um you know we'll give and you know eventually i want to start providing you know this first year it's probably about just getting it organized to make sure it run things run smoothly but you know special challenge coins kind of like we had like lvo gave out some really cool gold you know solid metal challenge coins that were unique to lvo uh, you know, getting some of those made for the L- um, for the LVOIS events for MCP. You know, the giveaway is like first, second, and third prices for all the invitational events. You know, so there's all kinds of little things that we'd like to do, uh, you know, to help promote this on top of you know just being able to play the game.
0: Yep, yeah, absolutely. So lots lots for people to absorb, but I think the main takeaway is obviously if you want to run some events, hopefully this episode really was going to help help you run something as smooth and you know as great for the players as i think lvo ended up being and what we're going to aim for down the road but also if if you've got a store community get something scheduled like that's the whole point of this gets get people amped up give people a reason to play it's not going to cost you anything to apply um so if you've got a store talk to the store manager you know maybe you're going to run it maybe the store manager is going to run it just talk with them let's get something get something on there the event application is all right there on the lvois um page yep. um it's super easy even had a few people reach out to me like hey how do you do it i'm like literally it's just right here here's the link like this is all you got to do
1: yep um and then also for and just anyone is you know if anyone's looking for um you know like a general player packet uh we have you know the are there's a Google doc there, you know, it's all listed um, in regular text there, but there's also a Google doc you can link to that's got, you know, a general player packet for like, Hey, here's the different events we also run. You know, here's how the hundred dollar draft works. Here's how the team tournament works. You know, here's all these other frameworks for different types of MCP events uh, that, you know, you can integrate however you want, but it's a great starting point um, for anyone that's looking to run any event. Um, And, you know, it'll help head off any headaches or weird interactions that, uh, you know, if it's one of your first few times running something, uh, you know, that you would experience. Exactly. So.
0: All right, Tyson. Well, I think we we think
1: we've covered everything that we wanted to cover. Yeah, I think so. You mean you don't want to keep going for another hour?
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh I mean I can, but I'm gonna probably drag you into a little Patreon content, maybe talk about some of our favorite moments from LVO and some of the coolest things that we saw. Ooh, there um, we go. Gotta save gotta save something for the, the Patreon subscribers. But yeah, man, I this was one of the episodes I think I was like most excited to do like some of these takeaways. I didn't realize I was going to have as much to absorb until I was actually there and experiencing it and seeing it. Like I wasn't so hardline on clocks until mm-hmm. actually being there. I didn't realize how great Longshanks was going to be like the marked mats have like changed my life. I, yeah. um, and so just wanting to share all of that with, uh, with the listeners to help. I'm just excited about the competitive growth of MCP. Mm-hmm. It, it went so well it was great meeting so many people at lvo getting to meet mike deluca for the first time meet sploosh meet nate from uh alfredo's size three taco truck um uh zach was in the last episode
1: it was great to meet him it was just a whole great community it was it was awesome yes yeah no it was great meeting everyone fortunately you got to spend more time with them i was um unfortunately i only got to say hi and bye a few times so
0: Yeah, I definitely, there was definitely a part of me that was like, especially I think it was Saturday night where I was setting up things for the finals and like everybody was out to dinner. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, I would love to be just out talking MCP with everyone right now, but I want this stuff set up and ready to go. And I want to, I don't want to be in my bed thinking, oh, I've got to get up with
1: enough time to set up all these tables. and Yeah. Yeah, Um, no, that's that's the life, the lonely life of a TO where you're you're there early setting up. And, you know, gosh, I remember, you know, usually Saturdays for um, War Machine, if, you know, depending what's going on, I'd have to, if our dice roll like 9 a.m., people show up at 8. So I've got to be there at like 7 a.m., you know, dressing tables because it's a disaster from after the team tournament that ended like at 2 a.m. Yeah, And yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like, oh, I got to get up after You know, I got to get up at like six o'clock in the morning if I want to eat breakfast to go run War Machine, (laughs) you know, to go run these events for these people that, you know, you know, I know they appreciate it, but it's like, oh, my gosh, you guys have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was
0: Saturday night is where I really felt it it was just too important for me to get the stuff set up for the finals. I wanted to have the exact, you know, tables set up the way that I wanted them. And then it was like literally seeing pictures of people out to dinner. And I was like, oh, I would love to be out talking MCP right now. I'm so sad.
1: I know I want to hang out with you. No, I've had, I'd have multiple years where I've had to cancel like Saturday night dinner plans because of things, you know, like, oh, you know, something's running late or, you know, I got to cover something and, you know, it's just the life of a TO, but it is important to make sure, you know, things are set up correctly. So then we have bandwidth if, you know, that's kind of a good premise that we try to operate with is having bandwidth available. If something goes wrong, like the tournament doesn't explode, you know, so we've got, you know, we're not operating at hundred percent, you know, things are done ahead of time. Uh, and if anything goes sideways, it's easy to handle without uh, the event itself, like spiraling out of control. I was telling James
0: uh, Sunday morning when we were heading back to the con and I was like, I still have to get here early. Cause even though I set everything up, there's always that chance that like, during the night, the the staff had to come in and they had to move stuff around to get to some panel or something. And now a bunch of tables are out of place or something. Like yeah. there's always that possibility. And I'm like, I still have to get here just in case.
1: Yeah, or my laptop's doing an update because it's being stupid, and you know now <laughs> I have to wait ten minutes before I can actually check people in. And I think
0: we just I had multiple phones, tablet, laptop, <laughs> so I had a lots of ways to uh, get that rolling. Thanks, yes. Longshanks, but um. All right, so we're going to wrap up the main episode here. Tyson, again, thank you for all of your organizational effort into making LVO happen for all the MCP players. And thank you for podcasting with me, man.
1: Oh, thank you. One, thank you for being such an awesome TO in the weekend of LVO. It made things run super smoothly.
0: I would have loved to be playing, but it was too as we discussed at the event it was just it was too important to us that this went smoothly i was willing to sacrifice that too um that
1: that's what that's what happens to tos is we've been players one too many times when things have gone sideways or like this sucks i can do it better <laughs>
0: yeah i've, and, I've been and at then some we, rough events
1: yeah and then we end up doing it better but then
0: we're stuck yeah it's and it's just the overall competitive scene for mcp is just so important to me that uh as much as yes. it would have been fun to play, I was, I'm someone at one point asked me, they're like, so did you have fun? I'm like,
1: that is not the right word. Yeah. D- defined fun. <laughs> like I didn't want to shoot myself at the end of the day, but I was dead tired and yeah. I'm glad it's over, but I had a good time question mark. Like, I mean, you know, uh, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's being able to see everyone and like, you know, see the people I see a few times a year. Um, putting together an event where they enjoy themselves. its kind of like running a good party. Yeah. You know, so it's a lot of work, but it's super rewarding. You usually kind of hate it the weekend of, but in retrospect, once you look back on it, you kind of enjoyed yourself. And that's what gets you through to the next year
0: yeah I'll definitely say it. I did not hate it. I don't think I had fun during most of it, but I do not regret any of
1: my decisions i, think I that's I think that's better than saying hate it but yeah, you're yeah. not like actively having fun it's like organized chaos you know you' yeah,
0: there was there were some aspects and moments where I definitely really enjoyed it and we'll talk about some of those in the patreon bonus episode but um it was one of those things that like i one hundred percent do not regret my decision to not play. I am very thankful for how everything went and being a part of it and being able to contribute to the competitive mcp community in a slightly different way than playing yep. but um but yeah okay well besides out of, instead of rambling on forever i'm just going to close out the episode and say yes. listeners uh the most op thing that you can do is get a qualifier scheduled for the las vegas open invitational series amen